Good morning. If you have a Bible and you'd like to open it up and follow along, turn to the book of Colossians. And if you don't have a Bible with you and you want to use the one in the rack in front of you, help yourself. If you don't have a Bible of your own, then I pray that I, I invite you to uh, help yourself and to um, make that your own. Really want everybody to have a Bible. Today we are concluding our series from the book of Colossians, uh, Walk with Christ. And if you've been with us for the series, I hope that um, you have seen and heard things from this portion of God's Word that will be genuinely helpful to you in living out a daily journey with Jesus. I mentioned this before, but the Bible uses several different pictures to help us understand what it, what it is like to be a believer in Jesus, different metaphors. Um, sometimes being a Christian is, is described as an athletic contest, like you know, fighting a fight, a boxing match, or running a marathon, and we can learn things about being a believer in Jesus from those pictures. And Sometimes it's described as, as a new birth leading to a growing up process, and that teaches us some things. And one of the pictures of what it's like to be a believer in Jesus is what we have several times here in the book of Colossians. Um, being a believer in Jesus is like walking. It's like walking with Christ, like being on a journey with Jesus as our guide as we go through this life every day, walking with him uh, on this journey that he is leading us as we go to our Father's house. And for me personally, that's just, that's a very helpful picture as I think about my life and I, you know, and I think about, well, what is it God wants me to do? And this tells me, well, what he wants me to do is he wants me to walk with him. He wants me to walk with his son every day, uh, to trust him, to, to remember what he's told me, follow his instructions, go in the direction he wants me to go, and to know that he's always with me. He's my guide. He's my most important companion. And as we finish up the book, the Apostle Paul gives us some final instructions for this journey because the journey continues. The series may be coming to an end, but the journey goes on and on. Colossians 2.6, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And that means keep on walking. Keep on walking with him. Keep on every day. When it's easy, walk with him. When it's hard, walk with him. When you're at work, walk with him. When you're at home, walk with him. When things are great, walk with him. When things are lousy, keep walking with him. He came, he lived, he died, he rose again so that you can live every day in relationship with him knowing that he's with you. So, keep walking with him. And one of the things about walking is you can walk rather aimlessly. 
Or you can walk very intentionally, very deliberately. Now, aimless walking, that's what my dog does. If, if I don't lead him very firmly with the leash, he walks very aimlessly. He just goes wherever his nose leads him, and his nose leads him to all kinds of random places. Aimless walking, that's what little children do when you let them out of their stroller. They want to keep stopping, and they want to look at every little interesting thing, every interesting little rock and bug and flower and all that. And I, I suppose it's not really aimless. It's just they have a different aim than actually walking and getting somewhere. Now, I want you to contrast that kind of walking with, with a walking that is very deliberate and very intentional and very serious like the walking that thousands and thousands of refugees in our world have done to leave their homes because of terrorism or war or disaster and to walk to a place of safety. There are camps today in northern Iraq, in the country of Jordan, that are filled with families who have fled from their villages in southern Iraq and Syria and, and other places. And many of them got to those refugee camps by walking very intentionally. Or think of this. Think of a company of soldiers walking very intentionally and very carefully through enemy territory to liberate a city or a, or a prison camp. See, that's walking with a mission. A very serious and a very important mission. Now, when it comes to our walk with Christ, which is it like? Well, you know, contrary to what you might expect, I'm not going to say that our walk with Christ is never an aimless kind of walk that dogs and children do. Because I do believe that there are times when Jesus means for us to rest. He means for us. He, he leads us on a restful ramble and wants us to look at the rocks and the bugs and the flowers. He created them for us to enjoy. But the fact is, we are on a mission we're on a mission, and it's a very serious and a very important mission. And when I use the word serious, I don't mean joyless. I don't mean joyless. In fact, the purpose of this mission is one of great joy. But what I mean is, it's serious because great things are at stake. Huge things are at stake. We walk through a world broken by sin, surrounded by people on journeys that are not leading them to joy, but to misery. And Jesus, in calling us to follow him, wants us to share, to take his good news to them. He's given us that mission. That's what this final section in Colossians is about. It's a reminder that we're not just to walk through life aimlessly, but to walk on mission. 
to walk while remembering the great things that are at stake in our journey, to follow Jesus wherever he has told us to go, and to help others come to know him, and to follow him as well, to join us on the journey, to join us. So we're going to read it now. Let's, uh, if you've got it, your note sheet, you might want to pull that out, take some notes. Colossians chapter 4, beginning at verse 2. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says this, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. He's talking there about the gospel message, the good news about who Jesus is. To declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, Paul actually goes on for several more verses. The book doesn't really end until verse 18. And in this final part, he mentions several people by name, lots of people, uh, co-workers, companions, fellow prisoners. And then he also sends his greetings to several people by name there in the Colossian church that he's writing to. And all of that reinforces a point we've talked about before that walking with Christ is not a solo hike through the wilderness by ourselves. Walking with Christ is a group effort. We do it together. And so as we focus in on verses 2 through 6, we just need to keep that in mind, that all of what we're told to do here is to be done together, to be done together. And the thing that we must do, I'll say it this way, we need to walk like it matters. Walk like it matters. Or to say it another way, walk on mission. Walk on mission. Walk with Christ together with this awareness of what's at stake. Walk with a sense of mission, a really important mission. So walk like soldiers, not like aimless children. Walk like refugees on a very deliberate path to freedom and life. Walk. This journey you are on, that I am on, it matters so very much. And how we walk matters very much. And you can see that here. There are three final instructions here that involve praying, that involve living, that is, acting, uh, behaving, and speaking. And these three instructions remind us of the mission, of what's at stake, and tell us how to walk with that mission in mind, how to walk like it matters. So, we'll look at those three instructions. First, pray to change things. Pray with the aim of changing things. Pray in order to change things that need changing. 
if, if we're going to walk like it matters, if we're going to walk on mission, if we're going to fulfill Christ's mission for us, then we need to pray in order to change things in this broken, messed up world. We need to pray intentionally. We need to pray regularly. We need to pray and keep on praying until things change. The language here, continue steadfastly in prayer, or another way you can say it, devote yourself to prayer. Think of what that's, think of that language there, devote yourself to prayer. This is not talking about something casual. This is not talking about something you do when you don't have anything better to do. Something to do when you get around to it. No, this is more like eating and drinking. You know, you eat and drink because you have to. You don't eat or drink, you die. And that's, that's the significance here. This is a must-do. This is not an optional. We need to pray. We absolutely need to pray, and we, we just can't succeed without it. Uh, if you go back to chapter 1, verse 23, it says this. Jesus reconciled you to himself in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him if indeed you continue in the faith stable and steadfast not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard in other words not not moving and putting your hope in something else but putting keeping your hope in the gospel continue in your faith stable and steadfast how does that happen how does that happen? How does it happen that you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel? All right, look at chapter 4, verse 12. Epaphras, who's one of you, he was from the Colossian church. He had probably been the one who came to uh, see Paul in prison and was going to take the letter back to him. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, Colossians. Now look at this always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. How does it happen that we, that we become the people that, that he wants us to be, that we grow, we become mature, fully assured, that we continue in the faith, that we're stable and steadfast, not moved away. How does it happen? It happens through prayer. It's a spiritual transformation. That's a work of God. But it doesn't just happen. Our part in this is to pray. To pray even, look at the word, struggling in prayer. That God will change us. That he'll change our hearts. That he'll change our minds. That we will experience the transformation we need to experience. How's that happen? We've got to keep on praying. We've got to pray that God will change what needs to change in us. And keep doing it. Now that's, that's one thing that needs to change. But that's not the only thing. If, if that's for me, I'm busy. <laughs> Just take a message. It's not for me. So, spiritual transformation. We need to pray that God will change what needs to change in us. But that's not all that needs to change, is it? 
Because besides that interchange in us, we face many in this world, we face many broken situations that we can't fix. Are you facing anything in your life that you can't fix? Are you dealing with anything that needs to change and you can't change it? Sure you are. We all do. And this world is full of stuff like that. Notice Paul's in prison. He's writing this from prison. And he's asking the Colossians to pray. What does he want prayer for? He's asking that God, that they will ask God to open a door for the word, for the gospel. All right, why is he asking them to pray about that? Because he can't fix it. He, he can't make the Roman government let him go. Just like today. We can't make the government of Iran let Pastor Saeed go. Do you know about Pastor Saeed? Christian pastor. I think he's actually a citizen of the United States, and he's been in prison in Iran for several years now. And we can't, he can't make them let him go. We can't make them let him go. Or we can't make the government of Pakistan let Asiya Bibi go. Do you know about Asiya Bibi? A young Christian mother who's accused of, by others of blaspheming the prophet Muhammad, which probably did not happen. But even if it did, it shouldn't be a capital crime. She's on death row. She's waiting to be executed for the crime of being a Christian. That's unjust. This world is full of injustices. This world is full of hard situations that we can't fix. So what should we do? Should we complain about these things? Should we get frustrated? Should we get depressed? Or should we just ignore them, you know, go blissfully on our way? You know, la, 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 I didn't hear it. What's God's word say? Pray. Pray. Ask the one who can change things to change things. Luke 18.1, look at this. Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Always pray and not give up. Now, when it says always pray, it doesn't mean, okay, start praying now and never do anything but pray. But to keep on praying throughout the day, every day. Never give up. It's so easy to give up, isn't it? It's so easy to give up. It's so much harder to keep praying when you do not understand why this situation is so messed up and why God hasn't fixed it yet. It is so hard to keep praying. Had to be hard for Paul. I mean, there he is. He's got this great mission. He knows God has called him to proclaim the gospel. And there he is. He's in prison. And he can't get out there and do what he wants to do. And so he asks his readers, pray, pray that God will open a door for the word. And they did, and God did. God opened a door for the word. I'm not sure it's the door he wanted, but he inspired Paul to write several books of scripture that have changed the lives of countless millions of people. And then he was taken to Rome. You know, He had to go to Rome, and he ended up in his defense proclaiming the gospel to a whole bunch of powerful people. And then 
he did get free. And then he went on preaching the gospel. God changed things. I have wondered many times why it can be so difficult to pray. Thinking of myself. But I do know, I do know it's more difficult to get a group of Christians together to pray than to do just about anything else. Why is it so hard? Why is it so hard? Well, thinking, speaking for myself, it's either because I don't feel the need, which is foolish, or I don't think it's going to make any difference, which is foolish. Now just think of those one at a time. The needs are everywhere. I just have to pay attention. If, if I don't feel the need, I'm not paying attention. I just finished reading a book about a guy who escaped from a prison camp in North Korea. He was born in the prison camp. He would have spent his entire life, probably a short life, and died in North Korea if he hadn't escaped. And as I'm reading this book and just this horrific situation and a situation shared by thousands and thousands of people in North Korea, North Korea is such a dark place. The thought came to me, why aren't I praying for the people of North Korea every day? Why am I not praying that God will bring the light, the truth of the gospel to these desperate people? Why am I not praying for that every day? If I can check Facebook every day, I can pray for the people of North Korea every day and the people of Sudan and the people of Nepal and the people of Iran and the people of Pakistan and Nigeria and all these unreached people groups around the world. I mean, come on. Do I believe that people need Jesus or don't I? If you agree, I put some resources on your note sheet to help you, to help us be aware of the needs. There's no excuse because there is so much good information. How we can pray for them. And then the other part of it is, will it make a difference? 1 John 5, 14, look at this. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, and we know, if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. Now make sure you don't miss this. Asking according to His will does not mean you have to figure out in advance exactly what God's going to do in a particular situation, and then if you happen to pray for exactly what He's going to do, well, that's what He's going to do, because that's what He was going to do anyway. That's not what it means. To pray according to God's will means to pray according to the mission he's given us. To pray according to his priorities, his values, what he wants happening in the world. See, prayer is a military radio that we use to call headquarters to help us accomplish the mission. Prayer is not an intercom that we use to buzz the butler to bring us another pillow for the sofa. To pray according to his will is to pray according to the mission. To walk like it matters, we've got to pray to change things. What's inside of us that needs changing, 
what's around us that needs changing. We need to pray. Second instruction. We need to live to influence others. Live to influence others. Verse 5. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Now, this word outsiders, that's talking about people who are still outside of God's family because they have not yet responded to the gospel, put their trust in Jesus Christ to forgive their sins, to make them right with God, to bring them into the family. And the point here is we're supposed to live our lives in such a way that we are influencing people in that direction toward becoming part of the family. Now, how do we do that? Well, contrary to uh, a belief that's popular among some, it's not by compromising the truth. It's not by watering down the message to make it more palatable. That doesn't work. No, it's by living out the truth, genuinely living out the truth in love. Living out the truth in love. It's it's living so that people can see something of the goodness of Jesus in us. It's got to be authentic, and it's got to be loving. You know, Jesus never compromised the truth. You don't see him watering down the message at all. And yet, people who, with just completely messed up lives, are flocking to him. They flock to him. Why? Because they knew, they could tell that he really loved them. And that he had their best interests at heart. He was full of grace and truth. Not just full of truth. Full of grace and truth. Not just full of grace, either. Grace and truth, they got to go together. And the idea here is that the more, the more that people can see Jesus in us, the more influence we will have for good. Now, this does not mean that everybody's going to love us. It doesn't mean that at all. You know, we want to live so that people see Jesus in us, but there are many people who don't love Jesus. Jesus told his disciples in John 15, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But the point is, we want people to encounter Jesus by the way we live. We want them to encounter Jesus. How they respond to that encounter, that's between him and them. Our job is to try to help bring about the encounter. And it says here, make the best use of the time or redeem the time. And, and it's an interesting word. It means to buy it up, buy it up. And it's kind of like this. It's kind of like that thing that you've really wanted to get at Costco or some other store and you've been wanting it, but you can't afford it. And suddenly it's on clearance. Does that ever happen at Costco? I don't even know. <laughs> suddenly the thing you wanted is there and it's affordable and you just buy it up. That's to be our attitude toward opportunities. To extend the goodness of Jesus, to extend His grace and truth. Redeem the time. Seize the opportunities. 1 Peter 3.15 
but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, yet do this with gentleness and respect. Live in such a way that people can see that there is a genuine hope because of Jesus, so that they'll ask. See, how we walk every day really matters. It really matters. Pray to change things. Live to influence. Third instruction, speak to win. Speak to win. Win people, I mean. Verse 6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. That is so interesting. Seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Do you see how important the individual is here? How to answer each person. Apparently, just a blanket, you know, one-size-fits-all approach is not going to work. Speech that is gracious. What does that mean? Speech that is kind. Speech that is respectful. That's both truthful and loving. Gracious speech. Speech that is seasoned with salt. I think that means speech that's interesting, not dull. Speech that's tasty, not repulsive. Proverbs 18.21 says, Life, death and life are in the power of the tongue. We all know that, don't we? We've all experienced that. We've all experienced words that are life-giving, and we've experienced words that are deadly. We've done that. We know words can build up, words can tear down. Words can encourage, words can discourage. Words can draw people closer to the truth. Words can drive people further away from the truth. We all know this. We all know we should speak carefully. The question is, how seriously do we take that? Did you notice the little word always here? My goodness. Let your speech always be gracious. Not just in church, not just, you know, at work, when you're on the clock. Always. That means I never get to say, okay, I'm off the clock. Pastor's off duty now. I don't have to speak graciously anymore. I'm at home. These people have to love me. (laughs) No. No. We never get to not be gracious in our speech, ever. Because I'm still walking with Christ. You're still walking with Christ if you know Him. Every day, every moment, always. That just sounds so impossible. You know what I think a big, big uh, help here is, a key to success? Don't talk so much. <laughs> I'm not making that up. Look at James 1.19. Let every person be what? Quick to hear, slow to, there you go. Do you know how many problems that would solve? If we'd be quick to speak, or no, that's the problem. (laughs) Hey, come on. Give me a break. There's another proverb, when when words are many, sin is not absent. That's... uh, That would solve so many problems if we were quick to listen and slow to speak. 
Notice the goal here. You know, if, we, if we'd be quiet and listen, then we might actually be able to think of something worth saying. Uh, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Look at how that implies listening. We answer when we've heard. How you might answer each person. See, that's how to treat people with respect. That's how to treat people as individuals created in the image of God who matter to him. It's by listening and then answering carefully with gracious, tasty speech. Now, clarification, this doesn't mean that everything we say has to be happy, positive, that everything we say has to affirm what everybody believes and what everybody thinks and what everybody does. It doesn't mean that because there is such a thing as right and wrong. There is such a thing as truth. Sometimes we have to disagree. But even that needs to be done respectfully, graciously. And all of this just brings me right back to the first instruction Continue in prayer steadfastly, because I need help on this. I suspect that you might need help on this too. Pray to change things. Live to influence. Speak to win. Live on mission as you keep walking with Christ. Walk with Him. Keep walking with Him every day like it matters. Because it does. It really does. Let's pray. Because we need to pray. Before I pray, I want to ask you to all pray quietly, and I'll pray too. Um, well, first of all, pray for whatever you sense God prompting you to pray for. And then I want you to pray for two men who are in prison in Sudan. Pastor Ruot and Pastor Reith, who actually are uh, pastors in South Sudan, but were traveling in the north and were arrested and accused of being spies. And they're going on trial today, and uh, they could easily be sentenced to death. So I want you to pray for those two men, and I'll pray for them, and then I'll lead us all in prayer in just a minute. Father, we lift up these men who, like the Apostle Paul, were, are in prison for the gospel. And Lord, we want to pray for them that you will open the door, that they will continue to be able to proclaim the good news of Jesus with boldness, with courage, with respect, with kindness. We pray you would grant them favor. We pray that they might be released. 
and return to their families and their churches. And Father, will you please help us to keep praying. There are so many needs. I don't know why prayer is so hard for us so often. But Lord, you you even describe it as a struggle in your word. And I guess that's because we just are not inclined to be uh, pursuing your priorities apart from your work in our lives. So we ask you to be at work, changing us, transforming us. Give us the steadfastness, the tenacity to keep on praying and to keep on living and to keep on speaking in ways that are consistent with the mission you've given us. And Father, I pray for anybody who might be here today who has yet to begin walking with you, that today might be that day for them, that you will help them say yes to you, to your gift of salvation, that you might become their guide and their greatest, most important companion, and you would help them on the journey. Help us all as we keep walking with Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen.